Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. Many people believe that ghost towns are nothing more than abandoned towns. But what if they're something more sinister? What if these towns were abandoned for a more nefarious plan? And what if these towns are actually haunted? Now Paratruth presents DD Ghost Towns. What's going on, Parafans? Welcome to another episode of Paratruth Radio. This week, we are revisiting our episode that we did with Kay Carswell from the Deception Detection Radio on ghost towns. Uh, we decided to do this because the wedding is now over, so we just decided to go with one of our guest appearances. So, on that note, without further ado, let's go to the show with Kay Carswell from Deception Detection Radio. Welcome, Justin and Eric. Thank you very much for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. It's always great to have you guys on. <laughs> so tonight we're going to talk about ghost towns. And there's more around, I think, than people realize. They think it's all from the Old West and they don't exist anymore. But they're actually all over the place. They are. So mm-hmm. which one of you guys want to go? Oh, let's do this. Can we do prayer first? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. W- would one of you like to lead it or you want me to? Eric, why don't you go for it? All right. I knew you, see, I knew you weren't going <laughs> to. I'll do the closing one. You weren't going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the closing one. All right. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you bring the three of us together again for another radio show that we reach out into the paranormal community. It's amazing that you brought us this far, the three of us. Uh, I know we've had many ups and downs in the past, both in uh, our experiences with those in the paranormal community, but also just in our daily lives, whether it be family, uh, friendships, uh, just a number of different relationships. You know, there's always ups and downs, and it's, it's a real struggle, Lord. And even more so, it's, it's a struggle to find friendships with people and to hold on to them. And I just thank you for the friendship that the three of us have now and that we're here to just talk about you and to really just expose what these ghost towns are all about. Because a ghost town, Lord, you know, there's so many falsities behind them. So many people just think that it's these dreaded, run-down places that no one should be going because they're haunted, supposedly. And what's sad is that so many people think they're haunted by human spirits. And Lord, I just pray that your grace is upon us as we expose the truth behind these ghost towns and that we really just show the truth to everybody as to just to show the truth that there is only one spirit, Lord, that we should really focus on and that that spirit is you. 
Lord, I just pray that you guide us and you guard us and you lead us today and that you protect us, us and all of our listeners. And all these things I pray in your precious name. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Justin. You did Eric. fine. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Eric>. <laughs> okay, don't count that blooper. Uh, <laughs> I do that too. I get... I get stuttered. I call it a hiccup. Yeah. Yeah. It's I do it a lot. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, so you have looked into a place in Ohio that's called Helltown. Mm-hmm. Tell me yeah. about it. Yeah. So <clears throat> Helltown, especially for those of us that are local, is probably one of the most precarious in interesting places in Northeast yeah. Ohio. You know, there, there's so many legends surrounding it, and it goes among a number of different things. You know, there, there's this old church up there that people think is just haunted, and they think that there's these spirits of little children that run around the parking lot of that church. And there has been, quote-unquote, evidence supporting this theory in which my sister, actually being one of these people who witnessed it, where people will park their car in this parking lot, leave for, you know, half hour or so, come back, and through the natural fog that would be on the windows, they see tiny handprints, like children's handprints, all over the windows. And it's very interesting, you know, it's curious as to what these handprints really are. You know, is it truly these child spirits or children's spirits, or is it maybe just fingerprints that happen to appear like children's handprints, you know. I think a lot of people get confused when they see just smudges and whatnot. Even when we take pictures, you know, we take a lot of pictures and we see, oh, here's a little orb. And actually a friend of mine showed me a video the other day and she was like, look at this orb, it's so crazy. And I'm like, no, that's just a lens flare from the sun. But, (laughs) you know, I think people get all kind of scared on the inside and they're, their imagination just jumps, you know, and they're like, oh, this must be the spirit that I've heard so much about. But Helltown does have a sense of a creep factor. You know, the legend behind it is that they were Satanists at one point and different cults that would practice there and that there were homes with pentagrams in the basements that would have blood stains on it from animal sacrifice. And some have even claimed there have been human sacrifices as well in some of these houses, especially the, some of the houses that are in the backwoods in uh, Helltown, which is it's actually Boston Township or Boston Mills. It's the actual name of the city uh, or the small, I would even call it a village at this point because it's so tiny nowadays. And then there's the whole, uh, this whole view or belief in the melon heads, which is just this, Really, I wouldn't call them creatures, they're not creatures, they're actual people, but the story is that some guy had captured these children and kind of kept them in cages and was experimenting on them. And it almost gave their face these weird features and their, their heads would be almost bulbous and gigantic and deformed and so on and so forth. And it was said that these melon head people would go out and kill people. Kills people just wandering by, driving by down the road, and so on and so forth. Mm. And, yeah, and, and, you know, when you drive through here, there, there are people living there. There really are. But when you drive through at night, it's rare that you see anybody. It's rare that you see any lights on. 
it's rare that you see people out and about. And on occasion you do, you know, I have seen parties there, but there's also times in which some of the, some of the families or the neighborhood kids that live in Boston township or in Helltown actually chase cars out. And my other sister being one of the victims was driving through and they stopped for a moment and a group of kids in some front yard started yelling and chasing them and they hopped in their truck and chased them out of the city. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I started wondering and Justin and I had been up there numerous times. Uh, we, we tried doing a couple of investigations up there and we just drive by just because it's a kind of a creepy place. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I did not want to get out of the car. Um, <laughs> so you so, stay in the safety of the car and you, you yeah. windows rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, there's definitely this kind of creep factor, you know, based on with all the legends and everything you, you drive in there, especially at night and your heart starts to thump a little bit because you're just unsure of what's really lurking out there or who's lurking out there. Well, <clears throat> one thing that's interesting that a lot of people don't know is that there is a towpath. And this towpath has hundreds of people riding their bikes, running, walking up and down this towpath uh, all day, every day, seven days a week. And there's actually a small little like convenience store, uh, I think is what it kind of is, right at the corner of where uh the Boston Mills begins. You, you drive over this little bridge over some railroad tracks and there's this little tiny building. And if you go past the building, it seems like everything is just silent. But this building is actually very active throughout the day and people ride their bikes through uh, Helltown all the time during the day. You would never know that this place had such a mysterious uh history, if you would, or, or uh, legends behind it. So I started doing some research because, you know, living only 10 to 15 minutes away from it, I needed to know more about it. And, and I didn't really do that much research until you brought it up, Kay. And you said, you know, Helltown is one of these I find very interesting in Ohio. And I was like, you know, this is a good time for me to check it out. <laughs> I really learned. So some very interesting things that I learned that, that you know, that were just blew my mind that I never knew. You know, I've lived here in uh, Broadview Heights now for, oh, goodness, I think 11 years. It's only been 11 years. It's not that long, actually. It feels longer. <laughs> but uh, it's about time to figure it out. And some of the things that I learned was that Boston Mills was settled in about 1806, and it's one of the oldest villages in Summit, o- uh, Summit County, Ohio. One, the Helltown itself, the full city was actually fully built around the early nine or 1820s. And several years later, the construction of the Ohio and Erie Canal ended up bringing more people to, to the Boston area of Ohio. And of course, Ohio and Erie Canal are probably one of the most popular canals throughout the country. Um, Cleveland has been one of the biggest industrial places, you know, of its time. And of course, Places like Detroit and New York have definitely outweigh us now. But Cleveland, when we first started in the early 1800s, was the biggest city in regards to the industrial <clears throat> movement. Mm-hmm. And it's still huge. It is. It really is. We still do a lot here. But as time went on and you move into the 1860s, especially the late 1860s, there was a nationwide movement which 
expressed concern over the destruction of the forests in America. And in response, President Ford actually signed a legislation in 1974 that enabled the National Park Services to purchase land and uh, use it to create national parks, which we still have right here. In fact, Boston Mills sits in a national park. Hmm. And then on December 27th of 1974, hundreds of acres of land, including some within the township of Boston, were officially designated as the National Recreation Area. So many people didn't realize that this legislation gave the federal government, government the power to use the right of eminent domain to acquire, to acquire the land from private owners in order to clear away, you know, clear a way for the national park. But almost as immediately as the bill was passed, the government began purchasing houses left and right throughout the entire Boston Township area. And basically, once the government decided they wanted your property, there was no negotiation back then. Right. It was, you know, you leave. You either leave or you, you'll be forced to leave. And so that's what happened. A bunch of residents began leaving and they left in droves and, and the entire township was swallowed up by this Cuyahoga Valley National Park all of a sudden. Believe it or not, like this, this event was actually so tragic. It appeared on a 1983 documentary on PBS, which is called For the Good of All, which I never actually knew there was a documentary on Boston Township or the Boston area of Ohio. No, me either. Yeah, yeah. That's the first I've heard it too. Mm-hmm. And so basically, this is why the area is so quiet now because all these people, it was a busy hopping place, you know, back in the 1800s, but it just, unfortunately, it just drove everyone out in the 1900s and no one's been back since because it is a national park. And of course, prices are much different. Uh, if you wanted to live in the national park, you got to go through a whole bunch of, uh, doors basically to even get there. That's really sad. Yeah. So some of these legends, you know, they, they seem scary. You know, you thought, like I just talked about the melon heads and the, the cults and this and that. And of course, the big question is, where do these legends come from? You know, because every legend has an origin. They all begin somewhere with some kind of truth. Mm-hmm. It's true. And so these legends began back in the 1970s when everything was being taken up and, or late 1800s and 19, into the late 1970s where governments or the government who bought the houses, they would end up boarding up and covering the homes with a no trespassing sign uh, that was issued by the U.S. And then the house would sit vacant until the government could arrange for it to be demolished. Now, some of the houses were burned as training exercises for some of the local fire departments. And with hundreds of homes being purchased in such a short period of time, the government quickly fell behind schedule in tearing them down. And back then it wasn't uncommon, and even today it's not uncommon, to drive down the street and still see some of these homes that are boarded up or burned burned out even, you know, from these fire department to sing. And that's pretty much how it's been ever since. They've just been left clear, and the government just kind of let it go, and that was that. So they took a piece of property that they wanted to turn into a beautiful park and burned mm-hmm. houses down and boarded them up. Mm-hmm. That, right. There's no beauty in that. 
Well, here's the thing. See, the idea was when you're building this national park, and obviously if it's reserved or owned by the government, it's meant to be a recreational area for the entire public. And so the reason they would burn down these homes is so that they can have nice flat ground in which trees and other plant life can start growing again. Uh, one, one thing that's kind of I actually think is cool, a lot of people think fire brings destruction, which it does, but it also brings life. And actually out west in California, they do some uh, controlled burns of different areas of their forest because it actually helps the plant life to repopulate and become stronger and better uh, for both animal life and people. So, yeah, they would do – they still to this day do controlled burns out in California to both protect the land from wildfires – but also it helps repopulate trees and bushels and whatnot that feed the animals out there. Mm-hmm. I so saw that after the big volcano out there, mm-hmm. how it did all that destruction and from the fires and everything, and there's just brand new life all over right. the place from it. Mm-hmm. That's so why, uh, you know, I know my pastor says it a lot, uh, where God will sometimes refine us in the fire. You know, it, it makes us stronger and better and more beautiful uh, in the end. And it's a literal thing, you know. Amen. <clears throat> I had read an article, too, on Helltown that there is a uh, legend that people say that they can see a guy sitting on a bench outside of the cemetery. And This is true. The thing that, that got me is... In the story, when I got to the bottom of it, it said, but there is no bench. <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy, right? It was. It was, uh, well, does the bench manifest too, or just the guy that's sitting on it, or what was <laughs> it? And they've got a, a beautiful garden around the cemetery and pictures, mm-hmm. but no bench. <laughs> well, actually, I, I've got some information on this right here in front of me, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it uh, word for word. Now, like you just said, the legend does say that the, the local cemetery there is haunted by this ghost that sits on the bench and stares, it actually stares blankly into creation. I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, this ghost just sits there, you know, what's he doing, and so on and so forth. But what makes it more creepy is that he's doing absolutely nothing, just sitting there like a like a giant doll or something. Strange. Uh, yeah, very strange. But what's interesting is that it's always almost described in a very precise way with absolutely no further details offered, which is even more interesting because you would think if it was just a basic uh, legend, it'd be a lot like telephone and things would start changing here and there as a legend, you know, reached down to different generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that one However, just stays the same. Right. But because there's so little descriptive information about the ghost, it's nearly impossible to actually determine a story or identity that might accompany it. I kind of like the idea so, that it played to people's imaginations, that there was right. nothing extra planted there except the guy on the bench. So mm-hmm. the imaginations could just run wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you got to wonder, like, maybe maybe there was a bench there at some point. You know, but why would people come up with this legend that there was a bench there when obviously there is no bench there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
And what's out that actually another kind of interesting legend about the cemetery itself is supposedly the trees in the cemetery move. What? Yeah, and according to the legend, they end up move the trees end up moving. But it's just one of those that you know it, it's so vast as, as as to like not much detail about what's actually going on or any of these you know what, what's going on with these trees, I guess. But there was an email sent to this one website, and uh, this website is called Ghosts of Ohio. And that's actually where you can find a lot of this information on Helltown. If you went to ghostsofohio.org, they talk about all kinds of stuff, not just on Helltown, but a number of different cities throughout the state of Ohio. But the claim for these trees moving was that members of a satanic cult caused the trees to move in order to protect the cult's secret. Now... Whether or not that's true, you know, is up in the air. Personally, I think it's a little out there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> moving trees, <laughs> walking around and stuff. Start getting into, uh, what was that show called? The, uh, oh, Grimm's Fairy Tale. Have you guys seen that movie? No, I haven't. Oh, The Brothers Grimm. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Brothers Grimm, I'm sorry. Yes, Brothers I Grimm. have, and I, lo- I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, great movie. <laughs> uh, who is it? I know it's uh, Heath Ledger and uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. It's a good movie, Kay. You should you should check it out. <laughs> I yeah, watched I'll it like, have just to. a couple months ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> oh, seeing the trees move kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings. Remember when they walk through yeah. and they they get the two and they're carrying them all over the place? Yeah, oh, it yeah. could be that Absolutely. too. Yep. Well, and, and you know, with any cemetery. There's always more than just one or two legends. So there is still another legend, and that is that Boston Cemetery contains the grave of a very large number of children who are all killed in a bus accident. Oh. Now, with any cemetery, obviously there's going to be children's graves, and it's no different in Boston in the Boston Cemetery. But, of course, it's not the result of a bus crash. They, Some people believe that the legend was actually started in an attempt to tie the cemetery to another legend within Helltown, which is the legend of the school bus. And the school bus, you know, it's not like some of these legends are just like, why Why did they choose this legend or, you know, go with this or go with that and so on and so forth. Yeah. Some of them are just, yeah, what's, what, what's the point here? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the legend of the school bus basically is that a whole busload of children were slaughtered in the woods by a serial killer or a band of serial killers, which escaped a mental patient, uh, a mental patient hospital. I'm sorry. I misread that. <laughs> <laughs> they were slaughtered. Apparently they were slaughtered in the woods by either, either a serial killer, a band of serial killers by escaped mental patient or patients or a group of satanic Men and women, depending on who's telling the story, of course. And the legend goes on to say that the bus is still there to this day, although the seats have been removed, and that sometimes the bus fills up with the ghosts of the murdered children, each one sitting in his or her ghostly seat. And sometimes the ghost of the man, or the killer, is seen smoking a cigar at the back of the bus. And other times you can even hear the children's screams or laughter coming from the bus itself. Now, locals have attempted to tow the bus away, but each time they've tried, some mishap has occurred. 
that has either resulted in injury or death and eventually is just left there. Now, this is a legend that is just crazy, like scary crazy. And surprisingly, the the truth behind it, you know, is completely different from what the legend is. <laughs> and apparently prior to 1974, when the buyout of the town was going on, a family ended up buying a house that was in dire need of repairs. But since the house wasn't in livable condition, the family needed a temporary place to stay. And they wanted to stay nearby the home so that they can make the repairs easier. So they decided to bring an old school bus onto the property and live in it until the repairs were completed. And in order to have more living space, they removed the seats from the bus. But when the government bought the property, the family had no use for the old bus anymore, and they just left it behind. Mm-hmm. And the local gov- yeah, and the local government like had tried, they didn't try. They had the bus removed. As legends go, whether the bus is there or not there, it's just a legend that keeps on ticking on down, <laughs> on yeah. down through history. You know, definitely some interesting stuff. There's a lot of different legends in Helltown. You know, there's there's a legend about the church. There's a legend about a supposed haunted house in the woods, one in which Satanists have either lived or currently live. There's a lot of crazy stuff in in Helltown. I think I would just choose to stay away. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to take the chance. It's really creepy. What did you look into, Justin? Well, there's numerous ghost towns or quote-unquote ghost towns here in North Dakota. Most of them are just abandoned towns that have just dwindled away into nothing. Some actually still have a small population in them. They're just called ghost towns because it's very minimal for these people that live here. One of the towns that I've actually been to was Haymarsh, North Dakota, and it looks like there's people, a couple people still living there, but it was very eerie. The church, they still have the church there. Um, there's a couple of buildings. There was a house down the street from the church that looked like it hadn't been lived in in years, but had a bunch of newer cars or maybe mid nineties cars sitting in the front yard. Needless to say, my fiance and I were really creeped out and just moved away, but some information that I found, which I didn't know, it was uh, first established in the eighteen in eighteen seventy eight. There was actually some Ohioan people that moved into this town, and uh, it was, it's actually a very interesting. No ghost stories at all. Just an old town that fell in time. Another one that. Uh, I've actually been to is Sims, North Dakota, and apparently I didn't know this at the time that we went there, but there is actually a a ghost story behind it. It was built around 1883, and the church is still active. A lot of people, about 50-plus people go to this church still for Mass, Uh, but there is a homestead right next to the church that is crumbling and in disrepair what you would typically think of as a Halloween ghost town so to speak but it's made out of brick instead of white paneling Mm -hmm. and uh, apparently it's of uh, what the people believe who haunts this place is a former pastor's wife 
who died between 1916 and 1918, dubbed the Grey Lady Ghost. Uh, her spirit is reported to haunt the old uh, parsonage next door, which is the house I was talking about, wandering the rooms and playing the organ. Oh, creepy. Yeah. And uh, the one other one that I had looked up is from a, uh, a website that dubbed the strangest and most terrifying ghost towns. And it uh, it's got bunch from all over Angola, France, Namibia, Italy. And uh, the one that caught my eye was one in France. Okay. I, I'm probably going to butcher this name. Ordor sur Glane, France. It's a village that was destroyed in 1944 by the, the Waffen SS. And it had 642 inhabitants, almost all of them slaughtered, including children, 205 children, 247 women, and there was one survivor, a 47-year-old woman named Marguerite Rufanche. Again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, it's still standing, still has very remnant buildings it's kind of eerie to look at pictures sounds like it have you guys ever wondered why the towns stay ghost towns i know because the one hell town was turned into a national park but it seems like these ghost towns that once they're empty they never seem to build back up again yeah you- all right here's I'm sorry, go ahead, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you'd think that someone would take the opportunity to build up a, a town, especially now, instead of just leaving it go. Yeah. Right. I completely agree. Um, there's a couple of issues there, I think. The first one is is natural. I mean, how many people want to live in a place all alone with absolutely no fire departments, no police, <laughs> no stores nearby, so on and so forth? Also, if you were to maybe build a store first, and maybe that'll bring people in, I mean, how many people are going to drive out to a ghost town to go to a store when they could just go right down the street, you know? Plus, how much money would it actually take to have to go in, tear everything down and start building things or rebuild things or to actually buy the property? Someone has to own it, most likely, if it's still there. There's just a lot of work, I think, that would have to be done on a ghost town, and and not just for the house itself, uh, but I think like the plumbing and... You know, all the water, every, all the water pipes and everything going out throughout the city. You have to bring electricity in. There's just a lot of work. It's true. And I, I think that no one wants to invest in something like that. It's just pointless. Yeah, I was thinking and, the peace and quiet part. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would be good, but. It's kind of sad when you think about it, though, too. I mean, yes, it would take a lot of money to invest to build these cities back up, but it's it's sad to see that it just took certain things like a coal mine drying up or a an oil field drying up to where nobody wanted to live in these cities anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, but at the same time, like when you think of a coal mine or an oil field and something like that, those are revenues that bring in a ton of money into that city. And so once they're dried up or once they're, you know, everything's pulled out of the mines, that's it. You, you, you're no longer bringing money, and no one's coming in to purchase that stuff. 
the, the business ends up shutting down and it's just a, a huge effect. You know, it's like casting a stone into water. There's a, ripples that just go on and on and on. And eventually everyone gets pushed out. It's true. And then back in the day, too, I don't know if it's so much now, but I know that when there were roads laid and railroads were put in, if they didn't come close enough to where a town was, that also um, affected the town because they didn't get the people coming through like they used to. Mm -hmm. And so in order for those businesses to even continue being a business, they have to save money, and the best way to do that is to start firing people or letting them go. And where are they going to work? The best idea is to move out of the city and find a job elsewhere. So, yeah, I agree, with Justin. Too, it is sad when you think about it. Yeah. Now, I got into a village in Canada that is on the creepy side. Uh, okay. There was a Canadian trapper, fur trapper. His name was Joe LaBelle back in 1930. And this fishing town that he was going to was called Lake Anshakuni. And the town was really thriving, doing well. And uh, in November of 1930, LaBelle went into the city and all he heard was silence, nothing else. And he started going through and looking in the homes and looking around trying to find people. And there were 2,000 Eskimo villager, villagers that just vanished. The entire wow. place was empty. There were no people. And there were also no f- foot tracks because there was snow on the ground. And it concerned him, and he'd went to a neighboring town to wire the Canadian Mounties, and when they showed up, they went through everything, too. And they found in a perimeter around the village, now this is, what they found was actually 12 feet underneath the snow. It was all of their dogs, their um I'm at a loss. They're the dogs that they used to pull the sleds, the sled dogs. And they were in a perimeter completely around the village, and they were starved to death. And after Mm -hmm. they found them, then they found the cemetery. And the cemetery, they were empty. There were no people in the graves. But what didn't make sense to anyone is the fact that when they were searching the homes, every single home was well stocked with food. There was no reason for the dogs to starve or for the people to come up missing. And when the Canadian uh, Mounties had started to leave, they had noticed that that the town itself had a blue glow that showed up over the horizon. But they never did solve the mystery of the sled dogs and the bodies and where the people disappeared to. Wow. And that one really, it gave me goosebumps because the dogs were just there. I mean, if it was a place and, you know, if they're hungry enough, I hate to say it, you know that they may eat their animals. Right. But instead they just starve, they ended up starving to death, but they were actually buried under the snow. But no footprints. Mm-hmm. 
And that one has never been, they call it the village of the dead, which I don't know if you guys discovered it or not, but there's a lot of ghost towns that are called village of the dead or village of the damned. Huh. No, I didn't come across. Yeah, no. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I thought that one was really weird. And then the other ghost town is Pripyat in the Ukraine, which is where Chernobyl is or was. And there were 50,000 people that lived in this town, and that was made up of the people who worked at Chernobyl and their families. And Chernobyl was the nuclear power plant. And on April 26, 1986, there was an explosion at the plant, and it took place in the middle of the night. It was a radiation leak, and it was from a nuclear reactor. And in order to put that out, it took over 500,000 people to battle it and try to contain the radiation. And it took so much money that it crippled the Soviet Union's economy. And 31 of the reactor staff and emergency workers, they were killed in the disaster. And in a report from 2006, they estimated the spread of radiation would eventually lead to between 30,000 and 60,000 cancer deaths. Hmm. And I have seen a documentary where uh, this guy took a film crew in and they just went through Chernobyl. There was one guy that he wore the hazardous uniform, but the other ones didn't wear anything and like that. And they went into the hospitals. There was still medicine there into the homes. Uh, there were still things that were set there. They have a problem now and then, and they don't know how these people are doing it. And usually it's kids that they will get into the town. But the radiation level still is at a point that it makes it extremely dangerous to be there for very long. I have heard that. Mm-hmm. So it was... Um, I hate to admit it, but I remember when when that happened. And it pretty much rivals Fukushima, but Fukushima is in a location that there is absolutely no way that they can get that under control or contained. Right. But Chernobyl is definitely a ghost town. The buildings are standing there. Of course, the wallpaper is peeled but they even had notices up for people that were looking for other people just put on on walls inside the homes. And I thought that was a pretty tragic form of a ghost town. Yeah. And it'll never be inhabitable again, at least not in our lifetimes. But that was, to me, pretty pretty weird. 
Yeah, Chernobyl is an interesting uh, thing to investigate as far as research because there have been numerous people that have tried to do investigations or just do documentaries and some people claim that there are things there that are still living there but they're basically radioactive or radio mutated people Mm -hmm. uh it's it's just an eerie eerie legend for chernobyl Mm -hmm. yeah it reminds me a lot of uh, what I've read about the first atomic bomb being set out, set off out west. Uh-huh. And that there are houses that still have, uh, the tables are set and the towns are empty and that area should not be inhabitable either. But I've read where that some of it that the government is deemed alright for them to be at. Huh. But I've heard about the mutations. You hear that all the time. Right. And I'd also found in a, a town that it was interesting because they think that Centralia, Pennsylvania, uh, there was a mine fire there, and it was a growing town until the mine fire started, and then people started to leave. And it's believed that the town and all the events that took place, that they were actually the inspiration for the game series called Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I have heard that. That would be something I wouldn't want to be caught up in. That movie creeps Ooh. me out. <laughs> first, <laughs> and I don't get scared in movies, but that one had me jumping. That's the movie. You should play the video game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I've got a I can't that play horror movies. I can't play horror video games anymore because they've scared me so many times. I'm like, I am not doing this again. I am not playing these games and yeah. getting scared. I say the same thing, and then three days later, there I am playing the game. <laughs> uh, turn the lights up. But, uh, I don't play know, I, those. I play the role-playing games I like Final Fantasy and uh, oh. those types and puzzles. I don't like okay. the other type of games. <laughs> My kids do, which I shouldn't call them kids. They're grown, but, you know, they like the things like that. Uh, I noticed recently on Facebook, actually, I saw it, uh, that particular destination, some some kids made a amateur documentary. Um, and I say amateur because it wasn't very documentative. <laughs> there wasn't much information. It was just kind of like walking around. They said a little bit about what it is. Like, oh, this is where such and such a fire happened and it's been burning ever since underground. And <clears throat> it's actually pretty cool because there's this one part of this short documentary. I think it's maybe eight minutes long. I can only imagine how hot the ground is because you can see where it's all buckling and cracked from the fire that's still burning. And there's a bunch of steam coming out and smoke coming out from everywhere. And he goes up to some slate and he's standing on it. And I'm surprised his shoes didn't melt. But he had a match and he put it down and he touched the ground with the match and the match lit on fire. Ooh. That's how hot. Uh, and I'm actually, I'd, I'd love, I, a buddy of mine had actually gone there, uh, a buddy in school. And when I had posted it on Facebook, he had said, you know, Right away, said, oh, dude, I was there. The place is so interesting, and I'm really curious myself. I'd love to go there and check it out. But you need to take yep. your filming equipment. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just don't set it on the ground. It'll cost me a lot of money. Yeah. I wonder why his shoes, the, the soles didn't melt. I mean, when you think of, if you're out playing tennis, how hot yeah. your soles or your shoes get that they can almost burn your feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had my, you know, hanging out at a bonfire and I had my foot up by it, my feet up by the uh, fire and my shoes started smoking. Oh. So I can only imagine. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it's kind of weird how long these coal fires burn because there's one that's near Medora, North Dakota. Um, they have a kind of like a reserve out there and, uh, we just went there not too long ago and the one, the northern side of it, there was a coal coal mine that has had been burning since like 1934 and was still burning to this day so they warn people you know if you see smoke coming out of the ground do not step there <laughs> right <laughs> i wouldn't have to be told twice <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't have to be told once i'm not going to step on something that's smoking <laughs> oh that's creepy yeah, I, I'd, uh, when I was doing this search on the ghost towns, I don't know if you guys ran across it or not, but this place that was called Ashley, Kansas. I, yeah, I did see it. It, to me, was one of those types of stories. I mean, yeah, I researched it enough. I had to vet it to see if it was true or not. And it wasn't, but just the idea, they said this earthquake happened underneath Ashley, Kansas. And it swallowed the whole population of 600 and some people. And the ground stayed open. And then a certain amount of time later, there was, well, the earthquake that happened was 7.9, they said. And then there was a second earthquake a few days later, and it closed the hole up. And they're talking about Hmm. the sheriffs and everyone that went out to check it out and this and that. I'm sorry. I'm not getting within probably 50 miles of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) all the people were gone they never found them that's what the story said but it was uh, a story from creepypasta which is why I had to make sure and vet it to see if it was true or not but I found it on a couple more places and then at the end of it it said that it was uh, not true yeah there's just so many things out there that they're so interesting you want them to be true you know, they're like, oh, this is, this is so weird and creepy and just interesting. It's like, I w- you almost think of maybe this was real, you know, how crazy would that be? And of course, obviously it'd be a terrible thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, but at the same time, it's just like so many people are gullible though. And they're like, oh, you know, this is so real. And they start passing out the news only to find out later on that the whole thing is a lie. And I think there's a lot of those out there, especially when it comes to the ghost town thing. And we see a lot of that happen on Facebook too. You know, oh, people yeah. don't vet their their information or anything. And whoever it was that wrote this story on Ashley, Kansas, I'm glad that it wasn't real. But whoever wrote it is extremely talented <laughs> because their their story was that good. And like someone had said on a comment, they thought they were reading a Stephen King novel. Well, hmm. and I I wish people would look up information before they're doing stuff like like you and I had talked about a little while back okay with the the fallen angel that supposedly was found in London when really it was a sculpture done by some artists in China That's and everybody's right. like oh my god they've caught a fallen angel well first off 
I don't think a fallen angel would look like this sculpture did. No. And secondly, I don't think they would be laying there for that long for everybody to sit there and gawk at it. So Yeah, because they're already dead. You can't kill them again. Yeah. You know, I was getting it in my my uh, mailbox, though. People were sending me the stories and the pictures. You know, what do you think of this? And my first thought was, that's fake. Right. It had to be. But you, you can't go on your own to say that you you have to check it too. Well, right? yeah, yeah. Because I could have been wrong. I mean, <laughs> it could have been yeah. wrong. I didn't know it, but people people just need to look up the information and dig deep enough to find out the truth. If you dig so deep that everything you find is saying the exact same thing, then it's probably true. But if you dig deep enough and you come across five different stories, more than likely they're not all going to be the, the truth. No. Mm-hmm. no. And you see that every single day. And that is part of the, um, to me, it's the deception. There are so many lies that are being put out with just enough truth to make it seem believable. And that makes everyone seem a little bit more gullible to fall for whatever they see. I'm glad a lot of these things aren't true. And oh, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever want to go through a ghost town or not, but we have a ton of them here in Indiana, which shocked me. Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see how many we have here in North Dakota too. Yeah, I've never been to North Dakota. You have a lot of flatlands up there, right? It's Yeah, it's part of the Great Valley. Wow. I bet it's pretty. It is gorgeous here, and it for a long time, you know, I kind of wondered should i move back to cleveland but it's almost so beautiful but the winters are so harsh everybody was is like you know oh we should move i'm like well then why did you move here in the first place if you can't handle (laughs) winters but yeah it's gorgeous here and even with the ghost towns i mean they are creepy but it's still beautiful where they are it's it's not like it's decrepit you know there's burnt wasteland everywhere it's not it's all valley you see it as history yeah Yeah. i grew up in uh, ohio and the town that i come from we had a lot of strange stories and tales and we had different things there that were unexplainable that you could just stand there and watch and there was no like there was um in the cemetery there was this huge marble ball and i forget how much it weighed but it sat on the pedestal and like i said this was in a cemetery and the ball rotated you could see where it originally started because it had a ring on the bottom oh, and the whole and it continually rotated you couldn't see it, the rotation, but you could see where the mark keep, if you watched it long enough or had a time lapse camera, that, that would go completely around. Huh. And that goes way, way back, but Ohio has a lot. I know that, that Eric knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Growing up next to Lake Erie is creepy enough, you know. Three-eyed fish coming out of it, and 
weird creatures with webbed feet and <laughs> uh, and never knowing what you're going to see floating. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I, I had a bottle of oil float past me last time I was in it. Oh my! Oh yuck! <laughs> I was covered in it. So uh-huh. nothing like motor oil. <laughs> oh wow! I was always told never swim in Lake Erie. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, when we were kids, nobody told us that, and it might not have been nearly as bad as it <laughs> is now. But yeah, when I was younger, it wasn't so bad, but now I hear it's really, really bad. But do you guys have any more haunted town or ghost towns that you wanted to talk about, or did we cover them all? I think we covered all the ones that I have. Yeah. Well, actually, Justin, do you, you and I could take turns on this one because we've actually uh, investigated this place. Oh, and it's a little place known as Gore Orphanage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a name. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and we, we actually will probably cover that at some point during our S-Files shows, yeah. too. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, so, and, of course, Justin butted in at any time. Gore Orphanage is basically an orphanage once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, approximately about 150 years ago. Uh, this orphanage stood, and of course we all know what an orphanage is and what it does. Well, apparently at some point, uh, 150 years ago, around the 1800s, it ended up catching on fire. And the entire thing burned to the ground, and legend goes that it killed all of the children within the orphanage, as well as all of the adults. And now the legend says that even to the to this day, people could go out into the woods, which is this place is out in Vermilion, uh, here in Ohio, and you can go out into the woods where this orphanage is or was, and you can still see the foundation of the orphanage. You can still see some pillars here and there, uh, or half a pillar, if you will, because everything's just beat down. Yeah. But the claim is that, according to the legend, that people can see some apparitions in the woods. Mostly you see shadows or black figures walking through. Uh, others claim to see lights of some sort. I was going to say floating lights. Yeah, floating mm-hmm. lights or swirling lights, as some say swirling, uh, which is an interesting, what, uh, I guess an interesting term to use because a swirling light is much different than what you would consider an orb. Right. Uh, right. Yes. So, so that's just, it's, it's very straightforward and simple. There's not too much going on and there's not too much behind the legend of what people see nowadays, but some interesting things. And Justin and I actually went out there, oh, what was it, like probably 2008, maybe? when we had Night Stalker's radio. Yeah. Um, 2008, 2009 area. And, uh, yeah, actually, I think it was the the spring of 2009, because it Mm -hmm. was still a little chilly, but... Everything had melted, so I'm right. pretty sure it was spring of 2009. Okay, so so yeah, so we went out there to do an investigation back then, and we were we were, you know, doing the EVP thing and just trying to ask questions and stuff like that as we used to do. And of course, we didn't come across anything whatsoever. Some uh, pretty cool, you know, pictures that we took. Uh, so nothing in regards to this spiritual aspect, but just. The history behind it, you know, seeing these destroyed pillars in the ground where this huge orphanage once stood. But what's interesting about the story is how exactly 
this orphanage burned down. And that's where the legend really starts to get sporadic and just goes all over the place because there's a number of different beliefs behind what had happened. <clears throat> One belief is that someone known as Old Man Gore had ended up burning it down himself. And the legend goes that the owner of the orphanage, who was either attempting to collect some sort of insurance money or just simply hated children, decided one night to just light a fire and burn the entire thing down. Uh, another legend, and there's four legends altogether as to you know what the possible uh, reason for this fire had started, uh, but another one was a disgruntled male employee. And apparently this shady character had some sort of confrontation or issue with the orphanage owner, Mr. Gore, and basically decided to exact his revenge and burn the gore down. Another one is just some unknown crazy man. <laughs> no no one knows the name. No one knows the name of any of these people other than old man gore. This is starting to sound like our our uh research that we used to do for Night Stalkers Radio. Yeah. <laughs> there was this American woman. I don't know her name. I don't yeah. know where she's from. <laughs> well that this one there actually is no name and we don't know where well, they're from. But uh, but yeah, this unknown crazy man, uh, the legend says that basically all that's ever told about him was that he lived in the woods surrounding the orphanage and he hated all the noise the kids made. And so he burned it down. The final one, which is actually the most common story, is that there was an accident and that it was either one of the orphans accidentally knocking down a lantern or knocking it over or another version in which the lantern was kicked over in a nearby barn which started a blaze and quickly spread over to the main building of the orphanage. Mm. But in the end, the story always, you know, the story always ends the same. Everybody died. And so it's definitely one of the creepier places probably that I've ever been. Really cool. It's kind of, there's this really little tiny bridge. It's a one way road. Well, not one way, a one lane road, I should say. Yeah. Which makes it that much scarier because you're going over this bridge and another car is coming in the opposite direction. You're like, what yeah. do I do now? But <laughs> it's this one, yeah, it's this one lane road. Uh, there's this bridge that goes over a tiny river and or creek, and you go past a couple of houses and you turn this this bend. You can't see the other side, but you go around this bend of this this huge hill or cliff. I can't remember, and you end up in this wooded area, and it's a dead end. You can't go any further. And you get out and it just looks like a normal, you know, it looks like woods. But as you step in, you literally start to stumble over the foundation of the building yeah. uh, that once stood there. So it's definitely pretty creepy knowing that this place was there, that the place burned down. And then you start pondering, you know, what exactly happened? Mm-hmm. Why did everybody die? You know, who started the fire? So on and so forth. That's another place. And I think one of the most famous, I think even even more so than uh, Helltown even. I actually uh, had done some more research on this not too long ago. And yeah. the legends are a little uh, over the top compared to the history that this one person had found. And this guy, I can't remember the name of the person. He, his name was not Gore. It, he just had a mansion there. And he had adopted a couple of kids. It was not an orphanage at all. And there was no fire. It just, the, the family moved away and it fell into disrepair and just started crumbling away. 
And, but there was a school that had burnt down with, with children inside a little bit, a town away or something like that. So they, the person that was doing this, this research and writing this article on, I can't remember if it was a website or if it was his own personal blog. Uh, but he had found that nowhere did it say that there was ever an orphanage standing there or a fire there and how it got the name the Gore Orphanage. Gore is a large, another term for a large piece of land, usually on a stream or a river. Hmm. And, um, I always thought it meant yuck and gross and (laughs) (laughs) that too. Um, but, uh, and it could be that this person's information wasn't right either, but since there's so many legends for Gore Orphanage, it could be that the history of it is way less, uh, interesting than the legends behind it, just as so many other things are. Yeah, that legend is, is really sad. It seems like if you'd walk in the area that that happened, if it happened that way, you could actually feel oppression going through there and and the heartbreak. We did have some weird feelings there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. We just never got any what you would call evidence of a paranormal investigation. There was no EVP. There was no EMF spikes, no pictures of any kind that we were aware of, but you could almost feel, you almost felt bogged down, mm-hmm. somewhat, somewhat depressed, I guess you could say, and it just an overall just real eerie feeling. I, and I don't know if that's because the place is truly haunted or if it's just, you just get a creepy feeling because you know something used to be there and it fell away to nothing, whether it was burnt down or somebody just left it. It's it's a very sad feeling there. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we weren't the only ones there either. We had uh, uh, Justin's girlfriend at the time, and also his sister with us. Yeah. Which kind of helped credit the things we were feeling because they were also feeling similar. Yeah. uh, Things as well, and there were times where they would get our attention. Like I feel something right over here, and it's kind of weird, or or they look up in the trees and feel disoriented. So definitely. The one thing stuff. that I remember most about that in- investigation was there was this pillar that was like right smack dab in, in the center of where the foundation would have been. And people had painted uh, pentagrams on it or just different graffiti. And it was just a really, really weird and odd thing just to be in the center of where this foundation was. Mm-hmm. Did it look like it was disturbed recently? Like maybe someone had went in there to have um, a sacrifice or a ritual? We didn't. I don't think we saw any evidence of that. Like there, there was no sign of a fire or anything, or no blood trail, anything like that. It was just a pillar that had been marked with spray paint. It could have been part of a ritual, I don't know, but it it was definitely marked recently. It, it, there was no paint that had been fading or chipped away or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, too, people will, will put things like that up just to try to scare people away, like a scarecrow oh, is supposed to do in a field. Absolutely, yeah. 
they don't want anyone on there and the best on the way, property. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have to see that twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, needless to say, I don't think we ever went back, did we? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> we never went back to there. We, we were never ones to go back to a location after right. uh, doing the research and the investigation. We really wanted to just branch out and hit as many places as possible. And I think a lot of our stuff, luckily Ohio is probably one of the most notorious places for hauntings yeah uh surprisingly and especially right around the canal area of ohio um well we actually had a guy on our show who wrote a book cleveland ghosts Mm -hmm. oh yeah and you know if you go right along the Erie erie canal there's so many legends about ghosts and hauntings up and down that that stretch of road. It's ridiculous, and even the road yeah. itself being haunted by some ghostly headlights. Right. Uh, and then there's like a building that some old family lived in uh, that's haunted, and even a graveyard or cemetery up on top of a hill that Justin and I went to once, which is just completely out of place in a large circle. And actually, I never made it up there. Because we went oh, in the dead of winter, right. it was that's you and right. uh, you and uh, Kyle. That, yeah, that that's right. There. I forgot you didn't go. It was me, Kyle, Libby, and then Kyle's girlfriend. Um, and let me tell you, like going up there was interesting. Not only were the pentagrams sprayed all over these uh, headstones, but the feeling that you got when you walked into the cemetery, the thickness in the atmosphere was just unbearable. It was absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. A lot of hauntings in, in Northeast Ohio, for sure. <laughs> what is the the strangest place that you two have ever been in that just really gave you the the creepy feeling? Whether it was a ghost town or an empty home or cemetery, whatever. Does she really want to ask us this question? <laughs> well, of course, you know how I am. <laughs> they always ask us this question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know my answer. What about your answer? Oh, goodness. There's so many different places. You know, honestly, I think when it comes down to it, well, I, here's the, here's the thing. Like, I'm gonna, I'm not going to mention any of the stuff that I've been through in my personal life in regards to demonic activity, because that's kind of a, that's kind of like a, tr- I don't know what I what do you call it like a, uh, <laughs> a huge uh, rabbit trail. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's not it's not it's not fair, you know. Yeah, you don't have to do that. I, I wouldn't that put was, you in that spot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for the stuff that I went through, that's probably the, the most frightening and the most intense stuff that I've ever been through. But in regards to places that Justin and I have actually gone out to investigate and uh, just had this weird feeling and reactions to the place. Uh, I think him and I are probably on the same page here, and I'm going to say Jeffrey Dahmer's house in Bath, Ohio. Yeah. 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 So uh, I remember that, that on our first interview. That would definitely have to be up there in the top five. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and it was interesting because I think when we first got there, it wasn't so bad, but as the night went on, Things started changing. The atmosphere started changing. Yeah. And I don't know if it was so much just the spiritual presence that was obviously there or if it was just the mindsetting as to certain areas that I personally was in and knowing what had happened in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is this little, <laughs> this little, 
I don't know what you call it, but this little like tunnel under the under the house. Kind of like a crawl space. Sort yeah, of. kind of like a crawl space. But it, it had a door and you could actually walk into it, but it had like the... I don't even know what was in the center of the room. You could barely get in there. It's yeah. like as soon as you walk in, there's this cement hill that goes over the top, that goes up and leaves about three feet of clearance between the uh, the floor of the house and the bottom of this this hill. So you couldn't get very far. You actually had to sit on the, on the side uncomfortably. There's no lighting, so you have to go in there with your flashlight. And this happened to be the place that Jeffrey Dahmer caught up Stephen Hicks and separated his bones and flesh and stored them in separate garbage bags and then scattered the bags throughout the backyard. Um, and knowing the type of just horror and gore that was happened in that particular room in which he was proceeding to do this stuff and then walking out into the backyard and realizing that this is where they found everything, like all the evidence of this, of Stephen Hicks, you know, all scattered all over the place it was just frightening and just eerie, you know? Yeah. Uh, and of course there was a lot of spiritual interaction inside the house as well. Uh, I came across a spirit that had a, almost like an orange or gold, orb to it that I could see with the naked eye. I didn't catch it on a camera. I just saw it. And we had some really great EVPs that night as well. The one thing that I didn't ask you on the, the last show that we talked about Dahmer, when you were there in his home, was this before or after he was killed? It was after he was executed. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So Yeah, because we had... We had what they call a ghost box or a Radio Shack hack, which nobody really gives any relevance to. But a couple of the answers that were heard from that kind of gave the impression that Dahmer was there. Again, it, it goes on your beliefs. If you believe that it's, it's demons playing on your fears anyways, which, again, I would probably credit that particular haunting to it was just really really a dark place to be and they had actually turned the garage where Stephen Hicks was killed into the living area living room area of of the house because they had com- been completely renovated the owner had rented it out to to this guy we were I don't know if privileged is the right word to to describe it, but we were, we were one of two groups that were allowed to actually do the first ever paranormal investigation of Jeffrey Dahmer's family home. Oh, that's wild. I think that would have to be in the top ones for me if I were you guys for the creepiest places to be. (laughs) I think it's number one on my, on my list. Yeah, I agree. I used to, uh, this job that I worked at, uh, there was a lady that she's just sweet as could be. Her mom worked at the same candy factory that Dahmer used to work at, and she worked there with him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and every once in a while, well, yeah, it was her mom. Her mom would send in, uh, you remember the gourmet suckers we used to be able to get that they could taste like coconut or they were really big? Yeah. And she would send those in. But for the first couple times, everybody just kind of looked at it and knew where 
<laughs> oh, I know, I know where that came from. I am not touching. Yeah, that. that's how it was for a while, and then we were okay with it. But anything that could come from any place that Dahmer had been, we didn't want any part of it. Yeah. So, well, guys, I really appreciate you being on with me again. It's always a blast. It is, and yeah. uh, I, I just it it really is a lot of fun for me. All right, folks, that was the show of Ghost Towns with Kay Carswell from Deception Detection Radio. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we loved doing it with her. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be talking to, or I'm sorry, we'll be talking about uh, the Spear of Destiny, and we will be bringing on Jerry from Tie Girl for God Radio. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a great show. You don't ever want to miss it when uh, we have Jerry on. She's a blast to do a show with. So until next week, guys, where you will see us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. Talk to you later, guys. If you enjoyed this episode of Parachute Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can listen to them on HD at our website, parachuteradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for brand new updates of our show every day. We interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!